Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Yo! Welcome in to the House of L podcast. It's a House of L actual. Man, do I have a great guest lined up for you today. Some really interesting conversation about baseball and life and perspective from Lynn Casper. We will get to that momentarily. I appreciate you hanging out. It's so great. Like, I'm looking at the numbers of downloads for House of L over the last three years, and we're getting close to a million. I'm, I'm like, I don't know why. I. It's, it's just really weird. Like, three years ago when I started House of L, I really didn't know that it had a chance to do that number. And, like, that... That number's significant to me. It might not be significant. I mean, I, look, I know that guys like Joe Budden or, well, at least he was, you know, putting up numbers like that. Levitard and friends, like, they probably do that in a month, let alone a year or three years. But for this little podcast to start in my office <laughs> and for it three years later to do a million downloads is dope. So... I imagine by the end of the week that this airs, we will be where we need to be. The whole catalog is available to you, by the way. All of it. So, like, if you're listening to us on Spotify or you're listening to us on on Apple, just scroll through. And I I know you're like, well, wait, what? you should have had this person on the show and this person. They may have already been on the show. I know that we bring in new people as well as people who have been here with us since the first day, the first episode, which, strangely enough, was with Jason Benetti, who is the partner in this podcast that Lynn Casper is doing with the White Sox called Sox Degrees. And I'm looking forward to him telling you about what that podcast is going to be all about. Yes, it is a little weird to have a podcast talking about another podcast, but that's the world that we live in, which is pretty great. We are brought to you by Homeside Financial and David Hochberg. As I said in, in last week's episode, like David sends me a script. I'm just going to tell you that none of this stuff that I've been able to do as far as getting a house would be possible without him. He's been the bank for all three of the places that I've bought. And... He makes it easy. They do this 21-day turnaround. Like, from the moment you call them to the moment you close, 21 days. That's what they're about. They get stuff done, man. I'm telling you. 56david.com is the way that you can find him. You can go check out the website for yourself. You know, like, you, you can go look for yourself. 
You could be like, hey, is this 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 person legit? I'm telling you though, he very much is. Like he does, he says what he what he's going to do, and then he does it. And I like that. I, I like that in my guy. He wants me to tell you this. If you're interested in lowering your rate, paying off debt, shortening the term of your loan, or renovating your home, call Team Hockberg, your trusted local lender, for a free consultation. In May, Team Hockberg helped all of the listeners to this podcast and anywhere else access $1.9 million of their home's equity and reduce their payments over $35,000 a month. So far this year, Team Hockberg has helped listeners extract over $12 million of their home's equity that saved them over $362 a month. So what are you waiting for? Call them, 855-56-DAVID or visit 56david.com. If you're thinking about buying a home or refinancing the one that you're already in, David is the dude to help you with that, okay? Homeside Financial is an equal housing lender, NMLS number 1124061. I'm really excited for you to hear this episode with Lynn Casper because I hope, my hope is that I asked a lot of questions that plenty of people had the opportunity or were thinking about. If they had the opportunity to ask Lynn, they would ask him, why did he make the move from the Cubs to the White Sox? But we talked about it in more depth than just Oh, well, you know, I was looking for a change. Like, Lynn really offered what I think is some excellent advice about approaching your life and seeing things and not missing out on opportunities for things when they offer themselves to you. It was also great to talk to him about how to do a baseball game. And over the last couple of years... The play-by-play guy, there's been a lot of pressure put on who's ever doing play-by-play because you're calling games off of a monitor. So Lynn will give you an idea of what that's like. Radio has been able to travel where television hasn't really traveled this year. So Lynn has been on road trips this year with the White Sox. Jason has not. And there's... I would really, I highly recommend you read John Greenberg's piece that he did in the first week of June about this, where he talked with broadcasters all over baseball about some of the financial and COVID-related issues and the entanglement of the COVID-related issues with the financial issues on why we are seeing sportscasters from regional sports networks not be allowed to travel to do games in person. Luckily, Lynn has been able to do that for his gig of calling White Sox games on the radio. And it's another thing that we talk about. Sometimes this is, I don't want to sound elitist, uh, but I'm totally going to come off as it. There are sometimes people don't know what it is that we do. And so there are assumptions that are made. For example, radio is lesser than television so people are going why in the world would Lynn leave television to do radio well there are some really good concrete reasons for that and I'll let him explain inside the episode but know this 
it was one of Hawks' greatest regrets as a broadcaster for the White Sox that he's not the person on the call when the White Sox win the World Series in 2005. That's because local television doesn't broadcast games late in the playoffs. Local radio does. And that played a role in it. It wasn't the only factor, but it played a significant role for Lynn. So I want to get to the episode. I want you to hear it. It's really good. And if you're someone who is even thinking about going into this aspect of sports journalism, there are some good tips here from Lynn Casper about how to do it and try to do it correctly. You should check out the new podcast. It's called Socks Degrees. It's him and Jason Benetti. The first episode is with Rakan. It's really good. Really, really good. I hope you enjoy this sit-down conversation that I have with White Sox play-by-play man, Lynn Casper, here on the House of L podcast. It's an actual. There's a lot that I want to try and cover in a little bit of time, but why don't we first start with the, the Sox Degrees podcast? Like what, what in the world made you guys decide, hey, why don't we try this as a way to reach out to the fan base? Well, conceptually, and I think a podcast made sense. Um, when I talked about getting this job with Brooks Boyer uh, and, and talking with Jason Benetti, who's a very good friend of mine, as you know, you know, we thought we wanted to take advantage of our relationship and to branch out a little bit. And there was kind of a void there where, you know, the, the White Sox didn't have an official podcast. And we wanted to do something completely different from what we normally do. Um, you know, the last thing I think we wanted to do was uh, replicating <laughs> what we do both do on a daily basis uh, as, as baseball broadcasters. Uh, we both have a lot of outside interests. And uh, the thought was we both kind of mine our uh, virtual Rolodexes and the, the thing I really like, Lawrence, is the idea of, you know, finding people who he knows really well uh, and I don't and vice versa. And then you kind of attack it from an insider's angle and then the outsider's perspective. And I think it makes for, for some really fun interviews. Now, the Rick Hahn interview uh, happened to be, I guess, a little bit of an insider view for both of us. But uh, I thought Rick was outstanding. And we're trying to kind of get into some different things that, that, that other podcasts that cover the White Sox don't. Uh, and I know you have friends who do very successful White Sox podcasts, and I assured all of them that uh, we're that we're not trying to um, uh, compete with them. We're trying to add to the the list of podcasts. So that's kind of the, the genesis of it. And so far, the feedback's been great. It should be. I mean, the, the first episode with Rick Hahn was really good. What I what I thought was super interesting about it was learning more about the inner workings of a front office. And even in learning about Rick's journey to getting to his job as general manager, trying to understand how one decides to work in baseball and then figuring out their lane of working in baseball to me was fascinating. Yeah, and I think you realize, you know, I think the story, um, there's a little bit of a thread between uh, a lot of the current uh, general managers slash presidents of, of baseball operations in that a lot of them have law degrees or 
business degrees. Uh, they were on a much different track and they kind of ended up doing what they loved the most. And there are a lot of really smart people doing this, as you know. And, uh, but, you know, there, there's, there are little tweaks and changes. Just, uh, depending on who it is. And then in, in Rick's case, you know, he actually was a player agent to start. Uh, and I don't think a lot of White Sox fans were necessarily aware of that. And that kind of got his foot in the baseball door. And uh, all of a sudden, here he is, you know, having been a, a very successful general manager all these years later. For you, was this also an opportunity to, to talk baseball where it wasn't restricted? I mean, you do guest appearances. You've done them for the score. You're doing them for, for 1,000. You have the platform during the game to do stuff with DJ, but there is a limit. Like, if you guys start a conversation and the game starts to take hold, it's difficult to finish those conversations. So was this an opportunity or an outlet for you to talk more about the game that you love? Yes and no. There's definitely a part of that for both Jason and me, but I I think as time goes on, and and again, I don't know exactly how this will go. Uh, I'm not sure how much baseball will talk. I mean, there will be some uh, episodes where it'll be like, really geeked out nerdy baseball we, we we're going to do pitching ninja uh, rob friedman who's outstanding and it's it's all baseball and that's coming up uh, in a couple of weeks but i think a lot of interviews that the, the theme of the Sox degrees it's kind of a playoff six degrees is you know you have this Sox universe and you have people really close to it like rick Hahn, who's kind of near the hub of it and then you know as Jason put it, it's anyone who's ever attended a baseball game is a potential guest. And yes, baseball will come up. But I think the idea is to branch out a little bit and to make it broader and to let our outside interests, not just baseball, kind of flourish in that regard. And again, you know, the, the, to make it simple, we're, we're really good friends. We talk a lot about baseball and other things. And I think it's just fun to see where it goes, right? I think you found this with, with this podcast that maybe the vision you had when you started um, gets changed as time goes on just based on these little fun diversions that you have with certain guests and you find that those are the fun moments, right? Not necessarily the, here's the stuff I want to get to. You know, it ends up being often the, the stuff you never anticipated talking about at all that becomes the most interesting. How do you think you've grown as a broadcaster from your first pro job to now? Oh, gosh. Uh, immeasurably. Uh, you know, I always, like a lot of young broadcasters, probably thought I was good when I wasn't. And it's funny, uh, maybe five or six years ago, I was cleaning out the basement and I had a bunch of old VHS tapes of some of my early baseball games. And, and I had old cassette tapes of my old radio shows. And for fun, I just, I popped one into like the last VCR we ever owned. And I was horrified. <laughs> and it, 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 it really, it really bummed me out. And after about 10 seconds, I basically took the tape and I threw them all away. And I said, I'll never do that again. And I understand that at the time you are who you are and you're the age you are at that time. And I don't know how you are about this, but 
I can't at age whatever it was when I did it 43 and now at age 50. I can't put myself back in 24 year old Len Casper's brain. Uh, I, I view it through my prism now and all I hear are the mistakes. So it, for, for whatever reason, for me, it was a horrible experience and it was a lesson about also life a little bit. And, you know, I like reflecting and looking back on the fond things. Um, but I also am someone who likes to look forward and, and be in the moment and going back and listening to, in my opinion, how bad I was when I started, it just wasn't helpful. I always joke about how 27-year-old Lawrence hates 46-year-old Lawrence. You know, that, that that he's like, why aren't you screaming at everything? Like, why aren't you yelling and, and learning some of the nuance of doing a talk show now, almost 20 years later versus when I started? It's, it's I didn't, I, I don't have as, as visceral reaction as you had to listening to old stuff. But I do think that it's funny, like the evolution of the person, like you can't take away your from who you are and who you've become as a person away from how you do your job. And I think both of those things are are so connected that as the person grows, so will the ability to communicate. Yeah. And, you know, the the irony is uh, I, I Joe Buck is a good friend and I asked him. On a pregame interview, I think a few years ago, on the score, actually, uh, you know, do you cringe when you go back and listen to yourself, even though you were really good, but you were doing the World Series when you were, you know, 27? And he said, I actually thought I was better then because he feels a little more stifled now in the Twitter uh, era. And when he goes back and he listens, he felt like there was more freedom in his call. I thought that was pretty interesting to hear. Uh, and there might be some truth to that, you know, for me, probably not as much, but I think for, for someone like Joe, uh, who's been at the highest level for the last 25 years, I thought that was a pretty interesting take. What does Lynn, the consumer need from his broadcast when you're, when you're just watching or listening, what do you need? Wow. That's a great question. Um, uh, I watch a lot of NHL games, and I think the quality of broadcasting uh, at that in that sport is is really good. And I've become very friendly with with a lot of uh, the play by play announcers. And uh, I'll I'll point out Ken Daniels, who is the uh, TV voice of the Detroit Red Wings. That's the team I grew up uh, rooting for. And you know, I I tell Ken all the time how great he and Mickey Redman are. And you know you're watching uh, a team broadcast when 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 you watch those guys, but it feels very even-handed, and it feels like they're always telling you what they see, and it's not through the prism of, well, this this is the way this happened because we're the Red Wings guys, right? And so, w- what I like and what I also don't like, I I don't mind homerism in terms of kind of a a rooting. But when it comes to calling the action and giving you the information and going over a replay in baseball or whatever, I just want you to tell me what you see, right? And I think fans appreciate that. Um, The one thing I've never tried to do and never will do is if I see that, you know, a Sox player in this case is out on replay, 
and it looks really close, but my gut says he's out, I'm going to say it. I'm not going to say, well, I can't really tell just to try to, you know, give, give a fan a, a false sense of, of hope. My credibility uh, matters to me. And I think when I'm watching and listening to a, a broadcast of any sport, uh, the, the, the announcers who have that credibility uh, are the ones I tend to like the most. So it does, it does affect how it is you try to craft your craft when you're, as a consumer, you're saying, okay, these are the things that I enjoy as a viewer, as a listener. These are the things that I want to impart upon listeners or viewers. No, no question. Um, the other one is, and there are, there are shades uh, and degrees, I guess, to borrow a word we used earlier. Um, when something really exciting happens, even if it's against your team, like uh, Andrew Vaughn hit into a triple play uh, at New York against uh, Aroldis Chapman a, a few weeks ago, and we, we happened to be in the ballpark. And, you know, it was one of those moments where it looked like the White Sox were going to blow the game open. And then this unbelievable, just perfect or awful, depending on your perspective, uh, a chain of events happens. He just hits a rocket on the ground right to third base, and it's a 5-4-3 triple play, right? I think there are two ways to attack that as a radio announcer, and one is to just completely downplay it. And, you know, there's some exasperation in every call when it goes against your team. But that's a really exciting play. I don't see a lot of triple plays. And I wasn't happy that, that, that the White Sox bounced into a, a 5-4-3 inning-ending play but you have to convey the moment, right? And there's a way to do it, I think, with uh, while expressing some disappointment or frustration, but also kind of meeting the moment. And, you know, bounce it to third, you know, throw to second, you know, throw to first, triple play, whatever, however I did it. You, you can't downplay that in terms of the, uh, the heightened call, uh, especially with the way the crowd was into it. And that's what my buddy Ken Daniels does, you know, a, a highlight real goal, even if it's against his team, he's still going to give it its due. And I think that's very important. And, you know, some people may disagree with that. Um, Hawk's a good friend of mine. And as you know, there were moments when he would just go silent when something bad would happen against the White Sox. It's just not my style. Uh, I, I appreciate that people who do this for a living are who they are and who I am, you know, if a guy hits five home runs against the White Sox, to me, I'm going to call it like it's a once in a lifetime thing. And uh, whether people appreciate that or not, I'm not totally sure. It's just the way I do it. How different is a radio call from a television call? It's different for sure. There are more details you have to give uh, along the way. Uh, there are times like the Rodano hitter when you just have to get the call right and you have to double back and then give some details at, at the back end of a call. Uh, that challenge has been really fun. Uh, DJ is excellent at radio. Uh, the what, the where, the when, you know, all the, the basics, you, you have to be on top of that stuff at every moment. And he's very good at filling in those details. If I have a home run call, uh, he'll immediately say what the pitch was kind of what the swing looked like. Uh, so I'm really lucky in that regard that I have a partner who, you know, kind of tackles it from a pure radio standpoint because he's done it 
for a long time. But yeah, every once in a while, I just have to remind myself that people can't see it. And, uh, you know, in the shifting era, you have to make sure you tell people where the defenders are. And if a ball is hit to the shortstop, but it's on the right side of second base, you have to say that. And on television, you don't always have to do that. So just little reminders. Um, I have a little uh, egg timer, two minute egg timer. And I, I just set it next to my computer. And, it, and when I glance at it, it just reminds me to give the score. Um, I don't turn it, uh, you know, when I started in spring training, I had the timer and I would turn it over when the sand would run out, I would, I would give the score. Now I don't need to do that. It's just literally having that physical thing in front of me is a reminder to give the score as often as possible. I've always felt like radio play-by-play in particular and play-by-play overall is a really pure form of journalism where it's, Tell me what you saw. Like this is it, it, explain to the person at home what the events are that are happening. When you decided that you wanted to go into this form of broadcasting, where did you get the tools to to tell the stories? Well, as a, as a TV announcer, the one thing I've always tried to do is be hyper aware of everything that's happening on the field and in television. When you see something, you can hit the talk back button uh, off the air and talk to your director and say, hey, I just saw this, or could you get a shot of this? And it's interesting that that, I feel, has been very helpful in my radio calls because there are two ways to tackle it. One is the, the listener only hears and sees what you tell them. So in some ways it doesn't matter how many details you see, you can, if you are able to, you can paint a really rich picture of some boring things. I don't feel that I'm very good at that. So I need to see all the details. And so my job doing radio is to find all those little things. Uh, We had a a really interesting conversation last night. Uh, The television monitor had a shot of the White Sox dugout and there were three starters kind of sitting on the bench in, in the in the front of the dugout. So I looked down toward our dugout, and it was Keuchel, uh, Cease, and all of a sudden Giolito sat down, and um, Rodon was there as well. And I said to DJ, I said, you know, I'm just looking down at the White Sox dugout, and not that this is a big deal, it's just kind of fun that all four starting pitchers who are not pitching tonight are all sitting together and they're having a pretty lively conversation. And we got into the concept of as a teammate, does it matter that the other starting pitchers are engaged in the game? And DJ said, absolutely. He said, I used to get advice uh, from starting pitchers all the time about what they saw. And when we went to break, he said, that's a really good catch. That's a really good conversation. And that's just about me watching. And I do it between innings. I try to to survey the field. And if I see a, a, a fielder or a pitcher or a manager talk to an umpire, I'm trying to decipher what's going on there. And I think that's great fodder for a radio broadcast because it gives people the sense that they're there watching the game with us. You've had a bunch of partners throughout your time of doing play-by-play. How do you go about building rapport with a new partner in DJ and then Sometimes you have to flip it over and you're with Stoney or you're working nationally. So how do you build rapport? 
it's funny. I had a two or three weeks uh, stint during which I worked with Darren Jackson, Connor McKnight, Steve Stone, Eric Karos, and AJ Przinsky. And somebody pointed that out to me and I thought, wow, it didn't even dawn on me how many different broadcast partners I happened to work with. Uh, and then some were on radio, some were on TV, obviously. Uh, I really pride myself on being adaptable, being open, and catering you know, the way I talk to partners to, to their style. Um, AJ's become a very good friend of mine. I know you know him well. And we have a lot of fun doing the, uh, the Fox broadcasts. And I know I can tweak him a little bit. Uh, DJ, as people who listen a lot, uh, know that we're, we've become very close and I can now tweak him a lot more uh, than I maybe did when we started. Uh, so you're just trying to, you're trying to find the thing that you think will, will give the, the person you're working with either the aha moment or the thanks for asking, I was thinking about this <laughs> thing. So you're just trying to think along with them and my job is to put them in the best possible position to be great. And whenever somebody compliments my broadcast partner, that's, that's a compliment for me. And uh, it's a team effort. And uh, Dwayne, Dwayne Kuyper, who's uh, another great, great friend of mine, and uh, unfortunately right now he's, he's battling some health issues. And um, so he's, he's taken a little bit of a leave of absence with the Giants. But his great line, Lawrence, once was, when you have an opportunity to not talk, take it. And uh, I've tried to live by that philosophy as well and not hog the microphone during a broadcast. I love it when my partner's engaged and uh, you know, talking as much as possible and giving fans the insight that they want. Uh, so it's been a great partnership with DJ, and uh, I've been very, very lucky to have some amazing partners from uh, Tommy Hutton in Florida to Bob Brenly. Jim Deshays with the Cubs and now Darren Jackson with the White Sox. I love that philosophy because the way I feel about it is if your analyst is great, if you lay up to your, your analyst, you alley-oop to them, the whole broadcast is going to be better. And it'd be easy for the play-by-play -play guy because the play-by-play -play guy is often the voice in our head. Like It's the voice of our youth. It's the voice of whatever team that you love to be like, oh, well, I'm the show. But if you can remove yourself from that and say the show is the show and say, all right, let me give the ball to someone else and let them do their thing, I, I think that that's a wonderful philosophy to, to, to try and work into play-by-play. -play. Well, I appreciate it. You know, again, it's a t it is a team effort, and I've got a former big league player with a ton of knowledge sitting right next to me, right? So... I think conversation is good. I think people like hearing different voices and they don't want to hear me blathering on, you know, for, for three straight hours. Um, you know, it is important that I'm kind of on time, which he allows me to, do, to, to be. And what I mean by that is on radio in particular, you don't want to be finishing a sentence or a story or a conversation and you're constantly three seconds behind the pitch. It does happen on occasion. You know, if you have four, 450 pitches in a game, you know, they're going to be five or six where you're finishing a read or uh, a story or a conversation and you're going to be just a little bit behind. But if it's a foul ball, no big deal. You just want to be on time and be able to set up the pitch when the big moments happen. 
and DJ allows me to do that. And the rhythm of the broadcast has been great. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. A lot of people were surprised when you made the move from the north side to the south side. What was it about the job that was appealing to you? So many things. Uh, The the radio part of it was number one. That was paramount for me. I've always felt like I'm a radio person at heart. And the fact that a full-time radio play-by-play job was available uh, in the city in which I live, those don't happen very often. And I knew once it was filled, uh, that was probably uh, a job that would be filled for a generation. Um, So that's number one. Number two, I've never been the lead announcer for a postseason game. And as a television voice uh, for a local team, that opportunity was not going to present itself. There are very few national TV uh, slots for postseason. So I wasn't counting on that. Um, When you do radio, you're able to go as deep and as long as your team is in it. And that was one thing that always kind of gnawed at me is that we were around the team every day and called all the games during the regular season, but the biggest games, and that really includes the, the nationally broadcast games, right? When I was on the North side, it was Cubs Cardinals. You know, there would be five, six, seven of those 19 games that we wouldn't be able to do uh, because they were taken by, by Fox and ESPN. So I know all the big games now with the White Sox. Uh, I, I get a chance to, to do what I love the most. Uh, it's not about my calls being remembered. It's about the work and, you know, if you're a utility infielder, you want to be on that postseason roster, right? You don't want to just be in the dugout cheering on your teammates. You want to know that you can actually uh, get into the game. Uh, I've done 20 years of television in the National League. So radio in the American League, you know, it's a different, fresh challenge with some teams I don't see a whole lot. Uh, My parents uh, still live in mid-Michigan. And when we head to Detroit three times a year. Uh, I have a a chance to see them more often as they don't travel quite as much uh, as they used to. And I think then the the other last thing, Lawrence, is just life experience in general. You know, when you you hit 50, uh, you start to think more about the things that you haven't done that you might want to do. And the material stuff, you know, Twitter followers, uh, your uh, fame, whatever, whatever that stuff means. It's not as nearly as important as it was when you're younger as a broadcaster. So when you add all that stuff up, it was kind of a no brainer to at least explore. Um, but when I talked to the White Sox, you know, there was no guarantee I was going to do it. I just asked the Cubs for the opportunity to explore it. 
And I said, it'll be a quick process one way or the other. I don't want to waste anybody's time. Uh, and and it, it happened fast. And, you know, it, it, it worked out great. I'm having an absolute blast. I thought it would be great. It's been way better than I thought. And for the record, I did not come to the White Sox because the team is really good. I know that that's out there that, you know, you left the Cubs because their window is closed and the White Sox are going to be good. No, that's just a big bonus. <laughs> Broadcasters don't end up going to teams they think are going to be good. You, you go where the job takes you and uh, it's all about the work. And uh, I just happened to hit it at the right time. Uh, that part's been awesome, but it, it's not something that factored into this decision in any way. And it turns out that the Cubs have been just fine. <laughs> like they're, yeah, right. they're they're doing just fine um for sure and i remember you being a part of all of our postseason stuff with the cubs and i i remember remarking to someone saying man lynn really wants to be a part of this and i think that that's super cool that you want to be a part of it but it's different when you're contributing and you were you were acting almost as like our on field reporter when it came to, mm -hmm. to Cubs postseason baseball. But that's why when people ask me about you moving over to the south side, I said it's clear to me that Lynn wants to be a part of a postseason and that played into the role because of that experience of seeing something so epic with the Cubs winning the World Series and not being on the call like I I it's it's enough of a of a a thing about like ego right it's not necessarily that but it's like this was your team and at the end you kind of weren't there with them there's an investment yes uh that's the way I would put it uh it's it's again it's not about I thought Pat's call was amazing I gave him a big hug uh I it, that, that call will live forever um, I, I never care about those things. It doesn't matter to me. And that postseason experience was one of the best months of my life. I mean, I have so many great stories and memories uh, from being with the guys. And I'm so thankful uh, to, to Mitch Rosen and to, to Pat and Ron um, and, and at the time, Mark Grody and then Zach Zaidman for, for welcoming me in and making me a part of it. Um, but it is different, right? When you're the as I said, I, I, when I talked to David Ross uh, right after I got the job and he called me, I said, you know, imagine in 16, in September, Joe Madden calls you into his office and he says, you've had a great year. I know you're going to retire. We're going to do everything we can to win a World Series. You're going to travel with us. You're going to be with us. But I need another reliever and we're going to go with, with Montero and Contreras and you're not on the active roster. I said, how would you have felt? He said, I would have been crushed. I said, that, that's kind of the life of a TV broadcaster. And he goes, oh, man, I never thought of it that way. I get it. <laughs> you know, so when I explained it to him that way, there was kind of a light bulb that went off. Um, this is all about what I wanted to do, not about what I didn't want to do, Lawrence. And I think there's this sense of there's got to be some other thing that, that, that he didn't like about the Cubs or whatever. It, it had nothing to do with that. It was just the job I was doing was not going to allow me or afford me the opportunity to do the things that I've never done in this business. And instead of worrying about that or thinking about, well, when's Pat going to retire or whatever, that, that, that's not a way to live your life, especially when you get to my age. It was a situation where there was something that, that allowed me to do all of those things. And when someone said, why would you do this? My answer was, well, why not? 
And uh, I got a lot of great feedback from colleagues in the business who said, hey, I really appreciate that you decided to just do something you wanted to do, regardless of how it was perceived. And, uh, you know, I, I've moved on and, and I have so many great friends with the Cubs, but the White Sox are my team. White Sox radio is, is, is my job and I'm having a blast. And uh, I, I wouldn't change one thing about the way this has gone. There weren't, because of the pandemic, a lot of the devices that would allow you to kind of indoctrinate yourself into White Sox culture, like Sox Fest, for example. How do you feel that that part's going of you getting to know White Sox, the White Sox organization, White Sox fans, and them getting to know you? It's been a slower process than normal because of the uh, pandemic, but DJ and I have been essentially the among the first group or two to be able to travel with the team. So uh, when this airs, we'll have been on three road trips, which is huge. And I've gotten to know the, the coaching staff, the players. Uh, I've gotten to know Tony already because I do a manager's show every day, but getting to know uh, the, the baseball people has been huge. Uh, you know, I've gotten to know many people in the front office um but it's different when there's that separation and it's also kind of weird because if i went to a different market nobody would know who i am but because i've been in chicago for a while there are a lot of people there who know me and i don't know who they are and that makes me uncomfortable so when i introduce myself to someone they say oh yeah i know who you are and then i'm trying to get to learn who they are and uh you know that's going to take a little time especially when you're meeting someone who has a mask on (laughs) Right, because the next time I see them six weeks later, I'm going to introduce myself again, and he or she's going to say, "Yeah, we we, we've already met." Uh, So I I know that's going to happen, but that's just that's just the way of the world now. What's been the hardest part of the last two seasons, considering the restrictions and trying to do a call of baseball games where you're not sure from day to day if guys are going to be on the roster or if the game is going to shut down again. Yeah, no, it's been hard. And I think, you know, that's the other part of this big decision I made. I do think the the pandemic and the shortened season and all of that led to a lot of reflection due to the, you know, imposed isolation on, on us. Uh, and I, I think I would have made this decision no matter what, but I, I, I do think 2020 was unique in so many ways and kind of a benchmark year for a lot of people. Uh, the lack of access has been hard. You know, I have numbers of, of guys and, you know, I can email and all that stuff, but it's not the same. You know, that human interaction in person um, makes the, the biggest difference in the world. I'll give you an example. I was sitting on the plane, the team plane. Uh, I think we were headed to New York after playing the twins and you know there's a little distance social distancing on the plane i'm sitting in my own row and one of the Sox players who i hadn't met came right up and just sat down next to me and he said hey i have a good friend who's a big cubs fan and said hey i need to meet you and you're great and so he introduced himself we just talked baseball for 20 minutes and i learned so much about this guy and kind of just talked shop and those are the things you can't really do virtually. You know, when you're doing a Zoom, there's always something in the back of your mind that somebody's listening, even though it's an off the record or private conversation. It just doesn't feel that way because of the technology. So when you're sitting literally next to somebody 
and looking them in the eye and, and having a conversation about when they were in college or their upbringing or about a play they made two weeks ago, uh, you get so much more uh, deep information from them in that setting. How big a deal is it to you that these people in baseball trust you to tell their stories? Yeah, it means a lot. I mean, I, I do think that no matter how long I do this, when you meet new players and coaches and front office people for the first time, there's always going to be a learning curve and a get to know you uh, period where there may be some people who don't and shouldn't, right, have that trust. But by and large, I've found that I have gained a little standing, I guess, in the business in that when I meet people, they know that I know the drill and that when we have conversations that those are protected. And if I want to use stuff on the air, uh, I know how to do it in a way that will make uh, them look good and not uh, betray their trust, so to speak. And again, my job is not to make every person in the game, you know, look great. What I'm saying is, you know, if you're telling a story uh, that 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 kind of has a cool ending, there's some details in there that might embarrass people, right? And they trust that you're not going to just give the entire story uh, in a public forum to the point where they're going to get phone calls or get questions about, hey, uh, I heard Len Casper told this story about this and it said that... Uh, you committed a felony? I mean, what's the deal there? <laughs> now, I'm not saying that that's a story I get a lot, but, you know, there might be embarrassing moments from someone's past that become kind of an aside to a story. You just have to learn, and, you, and you've done this too, right? You know that you tell this part of the story that is most interesting and, and, and I guess, most important to uh, who this person is as a baseball player or, you know, a football player, basketball player, whatever, and you leave some of the other details out if you don't think it really matters or it might get someone in trouble. When did you feel like you could be yourself? Because I, I do think that you know, as, as long as I've known you, like I've known that you've had other interests outside of baseball and that you occasionally will bring those interests to a broadcast if, it's, if it makes sense, if it's in context. When did you get to that place where you were like, yeah, I can, I don't have to be play-by-play guy I can be Lynn Casper well this market allows you to do that uh I think more than maybe any other um which is great it's a little scary at first and my goal when I got here to the city was just to try to prove that I knew what I was doing that I knew the rules of the game that I could get all the calls right and then over the course of time you kind of proverbially let your hair down and let people in on who you are. You have broadcast partners who want to know those things and ask questions. Uh, and I think over the course of five, 600 hours on the air a year, uh, that stuff is naturally going to come out. I mean, if, if a broadcast executive ever told Jim Deshays, you can never make a Seinfeld or Curb Your Enthusiasm reference, like he'd probably quit, right? That, that's fundamental to, to who JD is. And I love that about him. And I didn't get half the references because I, I love Kerr, but I didn't watch it as closely as he did. 
but I want him to do that when I'm working with him. And with DJ, there are some interesting things to him. You know, he loves singing. He loves music. He, he, he knows popular songs from the last you know, 50 years. Like, I'm really impressed with his musical knowledge. So every once in a while, you know, he makes up words. You know, I've heard Yakatow and Grumpitude. And, you know, I want him to continue to do that stuff. And I want to make a list of DJ words. Uh, that, that's one of my favorite things about the way he broadcasts. You know, every once in a while, he'll break out Filthy City. Uh, which is uh, just awesome when we're talking about pictures. And I almost did it, Lawrence, but I can do this on your podcast. I, I actually wrote it down. I think it was Garrett Crochet. And he said, that's, that's Filthy City. And I almost said on the air, I love it when you talk dirty to me. But I just I oh, couldn't go that far. Oh, I couldn't. Lynn, I couldn't come on. <laughs> that would have been fantastic if you would have done that. And Powder, powder Blue, Blue by You, I know that. There's Powder yeah. River as well from a DJ. Oh, I, oh man, that's great. I love that you're working with him. I've had the chance to do a couple of games with him in spring training. I genuinely adore him. So I'm, I'm glad that he now has a permanent partner that is going to bring out the best of him. And Andy did a great job too of it, but the, the partnership that you guys are going to build because his partnership with Ed was so important to him to see you embracing and running to it, I think is dope. I wanted to write a book about Farmio, uh, the stories he's told me. And most of them I think are stories you can repeat. Uh, what a, what a unique, amazing, generous, kind person Ed Farmer was. I got to know him fairly well, not nearly as well as, as DJ and the adventures. I mean, it's, there was like a Thelma and Louise thing going on there. Where, yes. You know, Farmio, you know, <laughs> he drive to the airport and yeah, like I'm a fast driver, but like apparently nothing close to Farmio. Like he was the man and you, when you needed to get to the airport in 11 minutes, he could get you there in eight. Um, they had some adventures and, you know, they liked to go out and Farmio wanted to play every great golf course in America and they'd have off days and Kansas city and they drive to Arkansas <laughs> to go play golf. I mean, there's just so many amazing stories that he's told me about Farmio. I would love for him to write a book. And I enjoyed you and DJ talking about your adventures of, of tailgating each other as you were trying to make it to the airport. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think I've upped his, uh, his game a little bit because when I'm following him, he knows that uh, I'm a little impatient. So uh, I was impressed that he was able to uh, weave his way through uh, traffic to Midway. Well, Lynn, I really appreciate you doing this and being so generous with your time. I'm excited for the Sox Degrees podcast. If the first episode is any indication, this thing is going to be phenomenal. And I, I appreciate you giving House of L a little bit of love because your partner was the first guest on House of L, and we literally just had our three-year anniversary and Jason Benetti was the person who kicked the podcast off. Oh, that's great. I didn't know that. Yes. Well, congratulations on uh, all your success. And uh, I know that um, you have a lot of people who come to you to, to try to develop new podcasts for your network. And I think, I think it's awesome. It's going really well. And uh, I thank you. And I look forward to seeing you again at the ballpark. Hopefully by the end of this summer, that will be a thing. 
Absolutely. Uh, stop by the booth whenever you get a chance. You got it. Len, thank you so much, man. Thanks, Lawrence. Talk to you soon. So I think there's some excellent advice in there from Len. And it was it's really cool to see those two guys working together. I'm I'm so happy that we have the opportunity to talk about DJ too. He I gotta get DJ on the pod. I wonder if I can convince him to do it. I really enjoy DJ. I think he is a slept on legend. I love listening to his commentary. I think he's fun and funny and very inviting as a guy that you know, played at the highest level. I always joke about the 94 season. Go look at, at, at DJ's numbers in 94. He's killing it. He's killing it. Man, that White Sox team could have won a World Series. Anyway, I'm glad that he's got a partner like Lynn that is going to make him look the best as possible. I also think it's cool that my philosophy on doing play-by-play is similar to Lynn's where, and I know, I mean, it's, it's Zach's like this too. Benetti's like this too. What you do, what you do, as UB Brown would say, what you do is you get out of the way. If you have a top-notch analyst, like if you're working with Steve Stone or you're working with Darren Jackson or I'm a big fan of Jim Deshays, let them teach the game. Do you do what you're supposed to do and then get out of their way? It's, it sounds easier than it is. But trust that he's doing it, Lynn's doing it at a very, very high level. I'm glad that they're doing this podcast too, Sox Degrees. I'd actually had some conversations with the White Sox about some of this stuff over the winter, I guess technically over the fall, where I had a conversation about them expanding the broadcast and they were like, ah, you know, we're thinking about maybe doing more multimedia stuff. So I'm glad that they followed through on that, and I think that this is an excellent idea. It's a space where Benetti and Casper are going to be able to let their hair down a little bit, and they're going to—they're both super smart, not just smart, like super smart, and very learned. So you'll see that they have interesting tastes, and they're going to bring them to the forefront for you. It's going to be a success. It, it truly is. If the first episode is any indication of the level of time, care, and production value, then this is going to set up very well to succeed for both of them. And I'm glad that both guys are really enjoying it. I'm thinking about asking Benetti to come back on the podcast, but I guess we missed our chance because the three-year anniversary was two weeks ago, a week ago, two weeks ago. So we missed our chance, but I'm happy that he's getting a chance to do this. But the, damn, he must be exhausted. He's doing all the things that he's doing, but he's doing what he loves. So I give him credit for that. If you're not listening to the Sports Adjacent podcast, man, I'm trying to tell you. This latest episode, I believe it's called The Same DM is so good. And the fact that that Russ and Tony 
I'll try not to give too much away because I really do want you to go back and listen to it. Here's what it is. Russ got a DM from a girl. She's a real person, not a bot. At first, I was like, oh, it's a bot. That makes sense. It's a real person, not a bot. And apparently, this young lady slides into DMs, and I ain't mad at her. Do your thing. You ain't hurting nobody. Fly your freak flag. Um, She apparently hit Tony with the same DM, like verbatim. So, shoot or shoot. And I respect it. I respect that she is out here shooting. So, please go listen to the Sports Adjacent Podcast episode. The last one that's posted, the same DMs. Then, hard left turn here. Listen to the last episode that Maddie Lee did. Her her sit down with Jenny Carlson about the Women's College World Series. I was thinking about jumping onto that episode. Usually I leave Maddie's pods alone. Like I let her set it up and then she brings in the guests and I usually don't want to step on her creative flow. I will just say this about the Women's College World Series. I think that it is an incredible television sport. Women's college softball is an amazing sport. I got hip to it when I was in college. We used to hang out with a lot of the softball players at DePaul. And you talk about partying. They, whew, we did they used to party. But I loved going to games. DePaul was really good. They would often find themselves in at least the regionals. And occasionally they pop up in, in uh, the, the super regionals. And I love the sport. I think that it's perfect for television. I think that it's 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 a loud sport. Like, you're engaged in it because there's all this chanting and stuff that's going on. Then you look at the type of crowds they get in Oklahoma City for this thing. I'm putting it on the list for me of things that I want to go check out. As a matter of fact, one of my boys, he took his son to Omaha. And he took him to the the college, the men's college world series, because this guy played college ball and he wanted his son to kind of get a feel for it. And so I asked him, like, you're gonna take your daughter to OKC? And he's like, I should, right? I'm like, Yeah, you should. So he took her. That was the plan, at least. I got to check back in with him. I want to talk with him about it. It's my man, John Chris. Like, I got I to ask him about it because the, uh, the time that he had with his son in Omaha was amazing. I can't imagine that it's any different. Plus, this guy went to Florida State, so he, you know, Florida State was there in the final. Um, Alabama was, was in the semifinal, and I, Alabama softball is really good. If they go next year, I think I'm going to go. If they go back and they're loaded, I think I'm going to go. Anyway, I thought the, the episode was incredible. And I really, I don't know if I, I would label myself a champion of women's softball, but I, I really enjoy it. And I think the fast pitch is a game that should, it, the championship game should not have been relegated to three in the afternoon or two in the afternoon. Like that, it, it was one of those things where, you know, you play the best two out of three. 
And so you have, if necessary, game three, that game needs to be, it needs to set up so that the final can be played even if it's a Sunday afternoon. I think that it's, it's, it could grab more eyes than on a Thursday afternoon. They need to set that up so that it's Friday, Saturday, and if necessary, Sunday. And the Friday game should be in prime time, although I know you're going to probably run into NBA if you're ESPN, like you have to figure out a place to put it because you've got the contract with it. But Thursday afternoon ain't getting it, Patna. You got to put that on in a in a space where a space where first of all, young women can watch it. And granted, most places are were out of school by last Thursday, but still, like you know, it, it's got real growth potential. The last sport that I saw that had growth potential did it far beyond what I thought it was going to be with UFC. And yeah, it's NCAA, but I, I think that that sport has a chance and shout out to Odyssey Alexander, who was the pitcher for James Madison. She was incredible in this tournament. So I'm, I'm all for it. I want, I want to see more women's softball. And I think that the episode that that Maddie and Jenny Carlson did is so worth your time. So go back to listen to that. Go back to listen to the foolishness of Sports Adjacent. And uh, I thank you very much for listening to this episode with Lynn Casper. It was really a lot of fun to talk with him on a in a long form. Like Lynn and I, you know, we've done stuff on the score, but that's mostly about the team. It's not really about him. So it was fun to sit and kind of talk about how he does his thing. And I'm glad that he had time. I'm glad it worked out. Thanks to David Hochberg for his support of this podcast. If you're thinking you're buying or refinancing your home, I'm telling you, this is the man right here, David Hochberg, 855-56-DAVID, or visit 56david.com. Homeside Financials, Equal Housing Lender, NMLS number 112461. Thanks so much for your support of the House of L podcast. It means the world to me. I've got more great episodes coming up in the next few weeks. I got to sit down with Anthony Heron, which is about as amazing as you think it would be, considering that it's Anthony Heron. So stay tuned for that. Please subscribe. If you want to email and give me a guest suggestion, Podcast at gmail.com is the way that you can do it. And I will talk to you next time. Peace. Ah, spring. Nothing like the world progressing towards summer to inspire your own progress. That's what life's all about. In your career, relationships, and your finances. Let's talk about that last one. 
With the Chime Secured Credit Builder Visa Credit Card, it's easy to start building credit with everyday purchases and regular on-time payments with no annual fees or interest. And if your credit score grows, so could your opportunities for lower rates on loans, like for a car or home. Sounds like progress, right? With Chime Secure Credit Card, you can start improving your credit scores right away. Get started today at Chime.com build. That's Chime.com build. Chime. Feels like progress. The Chime Credit Bill Visa Credit Card is issued by Bancorp Bank NA or Stride Bank NA. Members of FDIC. Out-of-network ATM withdrawal and OTC advance fees may apply. Terms and conditions apply. Go to Chime.com slash disclosures for details.